Hey, a couple of things. I'm not sure if Chris announced this or not, but um, <clears throat> there's a parenting teen uh, workshop that if, you, if you're a parent of teens, uh, you'll want to go to this. Um, it's uh, starting in a couple of weeks, and um, those teenage years are critical. <clears throat> they set up the rest, your relationship with the kids for the rest of your life. And uh, so it is going to be a dynamic workshop. It's four weeks. And also, the getting to know the gathering places next Sunday. If you've been visiting, you're thinking about, can this be the, is this going to be the church home for me? Then um, we'll be having lunch next Sunday after church. Uh, I'll be there, talk about the vision of the church, uh, what we believe, why we believe it, what we want to accomplish while we're here. Get to know you, you get to know me. And um, it's a great class that you want to be a part of. So this morning, um, as I was saying a little bit ago, it's really a blessing to have Dr. Wilhite and Velma in the house. Yeah. And uh, uh, I was just talking to Josh, one of my spiritual sons, the worship leader. I said, there's three generations in the house today. My dad's here. Your dad's here. One of the things I, I love about Bob is the fact that he got saved when he was a teenager and he never quit. He's been uh, married for 68 years. The beautiful Velma right here. What's that? That's a miracle that you hung, that you stuck with him all those years. Yeah. Uh huh. He's 86. He says this is probably his last trip out here. He's been married for 68 years, and he's been preaching for 65 years. He might have something to say. So this is a real special day. So let's, let's give a, uh, a standing ovation to Dr. Will Height. Yes, you, brother. This is yours. Um, I'm opening it for you. Um, I'm going to say, the last thing I want to say is this. It's, uh, Bob, it's, it's, it's men like you that when young men, I can say young now, right, in this moment, young men like me want to throw in the towel. I think about men like you, and out of all the things that you offer to the kingdom of God, that's the biggest is your, your tenacity, your commitment, your faithfulness. It strengthens and empowers generations to come, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Brother John. Amen. Well, I'm not ready to quit. Amen. Uh, yeah, that, that, that wasn't a There have been a few times that uh, it seemed like it might be the best thing for me to do is just quit. But the Lord always came on the scene and always encouraged me to continue. And I've now continued for quite a long time. I won't continue for a very long time here this morning, though. <laughs> I, uh, I don't, didn't ask Pastor John what time uh, he finished preaching because it won't make any difference. I preach till I get finished. <clears throat> But usually I don't, I hold out as long as you do. 
And uh, I can tell it's not bad when people look at their watch. It's when they take it off and start shaking their watch and looking. Then, then it makes a difference. All right. I, as Pastor John has already said, I've been preaching a long time. And I've been uh, over most all the world teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus all over the United States. I think I've been in every, every state but one. North Dakota, I've never been in yet. I've been over it a few times, but I haven't been in it. That's the only state in the Union I have not been in. Many of those states I've preached in. I've lived a long time. And uh, I want to take you back in history just a little bit because uh, I was 13 years old when the Japanese flew into Pearl Harbor and sunk a lot of our Navy right there and killed a lot of people. I was 13 years old. That put us into a war that lasted only about five years. It was not a long war like we find ourselves into in today. We fight a different way. But I noticed after that war, after the Second World War, I noticed this, that the guys got out of the army. I was not quite old enough to go in during the active war. I went in immediately following in 1946 when I got out of high school. I enlisted in the army. And uh, the, the emergency was still on. I got an education, even though you won't believe it. Uh, I did get an education while I was in the Army and an education when I got out of the Army and I got married. And that also has been quite an education that's gone on ever since we got married. I've been in school. My wife has been teaching me things. A few things I have learned, most things I have ignored. I'd probably been better off if I had listened more carefully. But one of the things I noticed at the, uh, not then, I didn't notice it then, but I've noticed it since that time, looking back. Before the war and during the war, there was a lot of preaching about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people were talking about the second coming. And uh, you heard a lot of messages, but when the war was over, we went through almost 50 years without anyone hardly ever saying anything about the second coming of the Lord. Because uh, we had pretty good times. I mean, people were making money and buying bigger homes all the time and they were really they were really well satisfied with earth they didn't care much about going to heaven they wanted to get heaven down here on earth and so we saw people really focused on themselves and focused on on 
a, a bigger home, a nicer car, a, a, more money in the bank, preparing themselves or trying to get ready for the time when they were going to retire and enjoy all of these wonderful things that they'd been able to acquire during the good times that we were in. That went on for a long time. That kind of preaching rarely hurt. I remember hearing a very strange message on the television probably 30 years ago. And the interesting part of it, it was a message by a Presbyterian preacher in Florida on the the subject was the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he preached a great sermon on the second coming of Jesus to a very large crowd of people because it was a well-known church and it had a lot of people. And, as, and he gave a great message on the second coming. And I'll never forget how he closed the message that day. He said, Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth again. Whether you're ready or not, he is coming back to this earth again. And I fear that there are many people in this congregation that are not ready for his coming. I didn't hear another message on the second coming for years. I didn't preach about the second coming of Jesus Christ during those years, not much, maybe a few times, but not very many times, because everybody was focused on the present, on now, on me and my and ours. But about five years ago, we began once again to hear messages on the second coming of Jesus Christ about five years ago. And in the last year or so, it seems that many people are preaching about the second coming of Christ and writing books about what's getting ready to happen. And people are beginning to get stirred up just a little bit because... But through that time, through the time when there was little said about the second coming of Jesus Christ, I also noticed this, that uh, the media got much more detailed in why Brother So-and-so that pastored So-and-so Church had recently resigned under pressure. And we heard a lot of that. For years it happened. But then people began to, well, we, we had a, some changes. Have you noticed how different the world is today than it was just a few years ago? It's much different. I've lived long enough to see these differences. To see what's happened when I was a child or a young, young kid just growing up in northwest Arkansas, nobody had a lock. 
they left the keys in the car in case somebody needed to use it. Because if they needed to use it, it is all right, they would bring it back and probably be filled up with eight cents a gallon gasoline. That was, I remember those days. You didn't think about locking up anything because somebody might need what you have. No, but now is a little bit different than that. We lock everything, some things with two locks. And we're afraid somebody is going to come by and take things, and they would. And often do. When I came out this way last year, I went back and my windows wouldn't roll up and down in my, in my car. They were up, thank the Lord. But I couldn't roll them down. And I went to the Cadillac place, which my, which I drive, a Cadillac that is now 10 years old. And it was given to me by my brother who's and it was his wife's car uh, when he gave it to me because she couldn't drive. He just called it his wife's car <laughs> and uh, because he likes cars and he has lots of money. And he called me one day and said, I bought another car and I don't have a garage for it. You can have my wife's car, my wife's car, if you'll just come and get it. I went to get it. It had 7,500 miles on it, five years old. 7,500 miles. I've been driving that car ever since. Now it has 85 or 86,000 miles on it that I've driven around over the country. But while I was in this part of the world, maybe while I was coming up, stopped in Benson, Arizona, my car sits in the garage most of the time at night, but it was on the street while I was here in California and Benson and so forth, and that my windows wouldn't go up and down. And at the Cadillac place, they decided that the wires had been broken in the door next to the computer that took care of that part of things. Those wires had been broken. Couldn't figure out why that could possibly have been. I didn't figure it out. I talked to a, a, a body person who had a body shop at one point in time he said let me call ed he called ed who had presently had a body shop he says sound like somebody got their what do they call that thing it goes down yeah i said he got got that thing hooked on some wires down there it sounds to me like and he pulled it out and broke the wires (laughs) well that made sense to me and i even though it cost me $1,000, about $1,100 to get that fixed. Solder is very high nowadays. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, yes. Anyway, you see, when you get old, you forget where you were. <laughs> The world has changed. It definitely has. Uh, that was a job that would have cost a few years ago maybe ten, twelve dollars. Now it was a thousand 
was about $1,100 they charged me because it took them four days. Let's see, no? Yeah, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Because I got it back on Wednesday, it took five days to get that fixed at the Cadillac shop who knew how to charge a lot of money. And uh, I haven't been back. Don't expect I will go back. I'll find a shade tree somewhere and get a, get that fixed for probably less than $250. All right. Times have changed. Times have changed. Preaching has changed. And now we're beginning to hear people preach on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I tell you, I begin to read the signs again. And I begin to listen to what some of these preachers were saying that were really making a study of this again and bringing it out. I begin to read scriptures like I find here in the 24th chapter of Matthew. Maybe you haven't read that for a while. We ought to read a little bit of that chapter here this morning and think about that. Jesus was on the, was uh, with his disciples upon the Mount of Olives and he sat down and began to teach them. And he, his disciples asked the question, Tell us, tell us when these things will be, because he just said, all that you see here of the temple, this is all going to be torn down, and you're not going to find one rock on top of another. That's the way he put it. And so his disciples asked the question, when, tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming? This is verse 3 of chapter 24. And... What will be the sign of the end of the world? And he said, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceive you, for many shall shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdoms against kingdoms. And there will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Do you realize that the Pope who recently, I, I heard him making this statement, he said there are more Christians being killed today because of their faith than has been killed at any time, including the first two centuries. More people are being killed today. And we read it in the paper. We hear it on the news. It doesn't really bring much of a response to most of our hearts. We don't get upset much about that. That Christian believers in other countries of this world are actually right now giving their lives simply because they are Christians and will not deny their faith. 
They will not deny it. All they'd have to do is say, I no longer believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and they could live. But many of them have died because they would not make that adjustment in the way and the confession that they were making. Jesus said, many will be offended and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. We are now living in a time when the gospel is being preached to the entire world. There may be places in the world where the gospel is not being heard, but it's being preached where it could be heard in every nation of the world today. There are a lot of these things that we have seen that we have witnessed. I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to ask you the same question that Presbyterian preacher asked the congregation where he was preaching some 30 or so years ago. How many of you know that you are ready for his coming? I want to see your hand. You know you're ready. There is no question about it. Keep your hand up. I want to see you. Yes. Yes. Then there's some of you that don't yet know that you're ready for that day. The response that is usually made when you say to a person who says they're Christians, this is the way the response goes. You can ask the person, are you a believer? Are you a Christian Are you going to heaven when you die? If you get a little bit straight on that, are you going to heaven? Do you really believe or know in your heart that you're going to go to heaven when you die? And the response is going to be something like this from about 98 out of 100 people. Well, I hope I am. I hope I'm going to go to heaven. But do you really know that you're going to go to heaven? Can a person know that they're saved? I'm here to tell you, you can know it. And if you don't know it, you better get to the place where you do know it. And you can get there before this service is over. You can get to that place where you know you're ready should Jesus come today. What else has to happen before his coming? I can't find anything else that has to happen. There are some things that maybe in the minds of some have to happen before Jesus comes back to the earth again. 
But I don't see anything in the Word that has to take place before that couldn't take place today. Amen. Are you really ready for His coming? Well, some would say, well, I go to church every, every Sunday, most every Sunday. Some, well, some Sundays. Well, at least I go on Easter and Christmas. No, but a lot of people go every Sunday. But they're not ready for the coming of Jesus. Because their faith is not really latched on the truth that they really are a child of God. No, it, it has to do with, with works. You, you see, they, they think if I, if I can just do a few more of these things, then I'll be ready. No, there's only one way to be ready, and that is to trust in what Jesus did. Amen. You have to trust in what Jesus did, not what you do. And don't go away thinking that I'm saying you shouldn't have good works. In fact, that's the only way you know you have faith. There is no way other to know that you really have faith other than by your what you do. You can go like this. If you don't say amen, just go. That's right. It's You see, faith, faith changes your life. Amen. When you begin to trust in Jesus, something happens. I know when that happened to me, I was in San Francisco in the Army, 19 years old. I'd been saved as a child, but I didn't, I went to a church where you had to, you had to keep earning your entrance into heaven. Uh, You had to keep doing all good stuff, and if you made a mistake, you better get back to this altar and get things right. And I I was one of those people that that just uh, rode the altar. Every time the pastor preached, I was the first one in the altar. Because I had done something that I felt was wrong. I'd said something that I thought was wrong or something. Nobody told me, don't trust in what you do. Trust in what Jesus did. No one ever told me. But one day Jesus told me. When I was praying, I was pastor already of a church. And I didn't know... I really didn't know what Jesus was about to tell me. I was at the front seat of the church, and I was kneeling at the at the end of this pew, which was in the church, and I was praying this kind of prayer. Lord, I'd like to ask you to do this or whatever it was. I don't remember, but I just don't feel worthy. I just don't feel worthy. I, in other words, I thought, there's just too many things wrong with me. I know you wouldn't want to do anything for me much. 
except you'd get me into heaven. I did believe that. But suddenly I felt him standing right here at my left side. I, it was so real that I thought if I look that way and see him, I'll die right here. I'll die right on the spot. So I didn't look to see whether or not he was standing there. But suddenly he spoke these words to me loud and clear. Son, he said, whatever gave you the idea that I bless you because you're good? I bless you because I am good. I don't bless you because you are good. I bless you because I am good. Now, did that make me want to go out and get drunk? No. I wanted to live holier than ever. I wanted to live, but I now knew that it wasn't the thing that justified his answer. It was my faith and trust in what he did, not what I'm doing. I never, I have no faith or trust in any good works that I may have done in my journey through life. I'm not trusting in any of that. Though I've tried to live holily and righteously and godly, not because I expect that if I can do enough, God will answer or God will hear or the Lord will take me or look at me as one of his children. No, no, no. That's all settled by my faith in what he did. Amen. But does that mean I'm going to do nothing? No, I'm going to do everything I can do, never looking to that as a, as a means to get God to do good stuff for me. Is anybody wide awake here? Go like this way right here. Yeah. <clears throat> Are you ready? Are you ready for his coming? You're ready if you have faith and, and trust in what he did. You're ready. Does that mean, oh, I know. That's what they said about Paul's teaching. They said, oh, he just, Paul, all he teaches is to just trust in what Jesus did. Trust in what Jesus did. And if that's the way it is, then we ought to sin a little more. That'll make him look better than, than ever if he forgives us of more stuff. Paul said, I never said anything like that. You know what Paul preached? He did preach the faith, he did preach this, the, uh, faith and, and, and what Jesus did, but he also preached just what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. He did. Well, he never quoted it that way. He didn't say it exactly the same way. But if you read through his teaching, you'll find he was teaching the same thing Jesus taught. Because Jesus, when he called his disciples and and was sending them forth into the whole world to preach the gospel. And you'll find that there in the last chapter of Matthew, in the last chapter of Mark, in the last chapter of Luke. You'll find him, him saying essentially the same thing. He said, I want you to go and make disciples of all people. 
teaching them all the things that I have taught you. What was the message of the early church pastors and teachers and preachers? It was what Jesus taught. Amen. What Jesus was teaching. What was he teaching? Blessed are the pure in heart. Anything wrong with that kind of teaching? Blessed are the pure in heart. He wouldn't say it save you. That don't save you, but if you're saved, it will sure change your heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the merciful. But I, I was looking at one this week, and I tell you, I couldn't get away from it, Pastor John, because I don't see very many people that are reading this particular verse of Scripture today where it says in that fifth chapter of the Gospel of, of Matthew, here's what, here's what Jesus said. Blessed are those, and I heard when I came in, the worship leaders were singing this song about hunger and thirst. I'm looking for, for the worship leaders. They're probably... That's what they were singing. I was singing it too. I never had heard that that particular song before. We don't have that in Texas. It takes us a while for stuff in California to get back to Texas. <laughs> and uh, sometimes good or bad. But uh, But Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst... After righteousness. I don't find very many people hungering and thirsting after righteousness. They're hungering and thirsting after healing, miracles, love, all kinds of I, I know they're hungering and thirsting. I hear this every once in a while. They're hungering for a better home to live in, a nicer car. He said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after, what was it? Righteousness. righteousness. Now, people who are believers have been given a righteousness. That first chapter of Romans, verse 16, says... I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The next verse is the one I didn't read for years. I guess I read it, but I didn't know what it said. And so I had to go and I had to do my own translations uh, to get this. But I tell you what, when I looked at the Greek... Don't go away thinking that I'm a Greek scholar and know a lot about that. I'm not, but I can. I do know the alphabet and I can read the scriptures. And this is what I I found in that chapter in that verse, seventeenth verse. He said, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation." And furthermore. <laughs> 
in it, the gospel, a righteousness is revealed. A righteousness is revealed that was earned by perfect obedience to every demand of the law by Jesus Christ himself. And God has credited that righteousness to the account of every person who believes. If you fully expand that, that's exactly what that's saying. Expand it using other scripture to go with it. He is saying, a righteousness has been credited to your account and mine. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That righteousness, so I hear somebody saying, well, if that righteousness is credited to my account then surely I don't have to be that righteous. Oh, no, I wasn't saying that at all. Neither was Paul preaching anything like that. He wasn't even implying that it should be that even thought of as in that light. He is saying, because, and I've prayed this, if you, Brother John, I have actually prayed this prayer. Lord, help me to be as righteous as I am. Are you listening to, are you hearing that? Help me to be as righteous as I am. Because I have his righteousness. It's been credited, credited to my account in heaven. And that shows in the eyes of God that I'm a Christian. But it causes me to want to live as righteous as I possibly can in this world. Not to be saved, but because I am righteous. Amen. Because I am righteous, I want to be righteous. Can you pray, Lord, help me to be as righteous as I am. Are you getting this? Now that doesn't mean that I, that I don't need to, when I read that part that his righteousness has been credited to my account. I'll tell you, what was separating you from God? Do you think it was your sin that separated you from God? Well, it certainly was not. It was the sin of Adam. That separated the whole human family from God. I hear somebody thinking, you mean God, you mean God was, God condemned me because of what Adam did? That's what the scripture said. That's what the first Adam did. We sinned in the first Adam. But the second Adam came and was righteousness, and we are ascribed righteous because of what the second Adam did. That's why I pray, Lord, help me to be as righteous as I am. I want to be that in practice. I want to live holily and righteously and godly in this present world. Why? To be saved? No, no, no. To be saved is an act of grace on God's part. 
It's grace on his part. But when once I learn I have been saved, then I want to be as holy as he wants me to be. And he doesn't want me to be holy to be saved. One time the Lord said to me, anything I can do with you, I can do without you. I I was in my place of prayer when the Lord spoke that clear to me. He said, son, anything I can do with you, I can do without you. I don't need you. He paused for just a moment and said, I want you. I want you. It's a lot better to be wanted than to be needed. God doesn't need us. The next morning, I remember I was back in my place of prayer, and I said, Well, Lord, I have thought about that, what you said to me yesterday. I thought about that. And I'm convinced that you don't really need me. You don't need me. You didn't save us because you had some kind of need for us. He doesn't even need our worship. He doesn't need it. He's not all down in the mouth, discouraged and trying to figure out what to do. No, no, no. We don't add one thing to God when we worship, but we add a lot to us. Amen. We worship because, oh, it's just something you want to do. You just want to worship a God that is so good. But he said... I don't need you. I want you. And then the next day, as I'm, I'm going to tell the story in spite of everything. I know I'm, you don't expect me to carry on and tell the same story. Because you get, when you get old, people think you don't know anything anyway. But, and for the most part, it's true. <laughs> but, but I do remember this. I said, Lord, I, 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 I thought about it. I know it's true. I know you don't need us. I know you didn't create us because you had some kind of need for us. I know that. But, Lord, will you please tell me why why you created us? Why did you create? You didn't have any need for us. I know you didn't have any need for us at all. Then why did you create us? Have you ever asked the Lord that? I have. I asked that morning, and he answered very clearly to me when I said, What what can I do? What can I do for you? After all, you're God. You can do anything you want. He could have made automatons and programmed us to say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He could have done that. He has the power. He's God. He could make us praise Him. But no, He made us in His likeness. Yes, He did. You were made in the image and likeness of God. And He gave you freedom. You could choose or not choose to serve Him. 
It's all up to you. He didn't make people serve him. He doesn't make us serve him. Amen. But he gave us the option. He ha- we have the option and we can choose. And that's what the Lord wants most of all from us who have the option to not serve him. We decide, I love you, Lord, and I want to serve you. I want to serve you. Amen. I, am I talking to people who have that same? I, I want to serve the Lord. But when I said, well, Lord, then, then if, you created, if you created us, and I, as minute I said that, Lord, what, what do we do for you? The Lord said, anything you do for me. Anything that you do for me, for me, anything you do. Even if it's just cleaning out that closet. Or straightening up the garage. Or mowing the lawn. Because you don't mow much in California nowadays since water is getting so difficult. But people are putting gravel on the lawn now. But... When he said, anything you do, I suddenly realized it doesn't matter what it is. What matters is if I'm doing it unto God. I'm, I'm not talking about evil things. I'm talking about whatever we do, whether it's just domestic work or whether it's working for a company or whatever it is. I'm doing it for the glory of God. I'm not doing it for me. I want to do this in a way that... People will see my work and glorify God. They'll glorify God. Because, but I, I do remember when, he, when I asked that question, when I asked that question, why did you create us? I remembered that scripture verse in the fourth chapter of Revelation that God created us for his own good pleasure. And anything we do, if we're doing it as unto the Lord for the glory of God, it brings him pleasure. Amen. Amen. Just cooking lunch for the children. Washing and Ironing their clothing, trying to keep somebody looking a little better or breathing a little better. Amen. Just serving, not serving God. He doesn't need anything. God doesn't need anything. But I'm going to do it for His glory. Whatever I'm doing, I do for the glory of The honor and the praise of God. I think I have a handkerchief in some pocket. Yes, I do. Have you got it? Yeah. Lord, help me to be as holy as I am. 
Help me to be as righteous as I am. I want to do whatever will bring you pleasure. Whatever brings you pleasure, that's what I want to do. I don't have any desire to do anything other than what will bring you pleasure. And if I'm about to do something that I, and I question about whether or not it's right to do this, it's probably not. Amen. If you're having questions about it, it probably is the wrong thing to do. See, only those people who are doing, who are acting as righteous or righteous like they are, only those people are ready for his coming. And when they know they're getting near, they lift up their head and rejoice because their redemption draw is drawing near. And you can be absolutely certain if your faith simply rests in what he did. What he did. And if you know that he did this, if you know what he did that brought salvation, that brought righteousness, a righteousness that, that he earned through perfect obedience to the law. If you know that righteousness has been credited to your account and you have a deep desire in your heart, it causes you to pray, Lord, help me to be as righteous as I am. Amen. Just help me to be as righteous. Listen, that person is ready. See, you could do that, couldn't you? Any of you that didn't have your hand raised up a while ago, can you put your faith in what he did? Yeah, can you trust what he did? Amen. And do you want to be as holy then as you really are? Because he has put his righteousness on your account and God sees you as he sees his only begotten son. Amen. This should cause the corners of your mouth to kind of go up this way. <laughs> Hallelujah. I see one man back there. He's, he, he got a hold of something here. Something has got a hold of him. Now if Jesus comes, I know that his righteousness has been credited to my account, and I have a desire to be as holy as I am. Amen. I want his will in my life more than any other thing. It doesn't matter about anything else. Oh, my goodness, alive. I'm finished. But I'm not done. Amen. Hallelujah. Brother John. Just do whatever God tells you to do. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah.
This is going to be one of those moments, and now sometimes you get glimpses of heaven while you're on earth. We're in heaven. We're in heaven. We might remember this moment, Bob. Yes, 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 yes. We're going to look back and say, that was a sweet, that was a, that was a sweet moment on earth. Hallelujah. That, 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 that unsolicited standing ovation you just received was sweet. That's a, Thank you, Lord Jesus. A life well lived, Bob. A life well lived. And I know Velma right now. You can go like this, Velma. You do one of yes, these right yeah. here. <laughs> Amen. I am so, um, so thankful that you were brought into my life. Me too. Thank you so much for loving me and caring for me and hope. And I'm going to cook you a nice big old fat steak like they do in Texas tonight. <laughs> you come on up to the hill country. Hallelujah. I might just go... I might just go wrestle me a fresh cow, a fresh cow up there in Ramona Way, and um, can I have this? Oh, you're not done yet. That's right, you're not done yet. I'm sorry. It reads like the rest of them. Um, thank you. She she just said I could have it when you're gone, Bob. Thank you. All right, listen, any other, any other son in the faith of his that tries to get that, Velma, you slap their hand. Say, this is for Brother John, and you, you send it to me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So, the Apostle Paul said this, there are many teachers, but not many fathers. And uh, fathers are rare. And they are important in our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And so I, I, I um, hope was gonna was gonna cut a standard uh, honorarium check today for Bob, and and I said, you know, I really feel like we need to honor Bob. This will probably be the last time Bob is here, and I want to honor him um, with with our money. That's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, those, those are so to spiritual things. Is it any big thing that he reaps are material things? So I want to honor Bob today with an offering. And so um, it's a free will offering, meaning obviously you give whatever you feel like the Lord puts on your heart. But I want to honor the fathers in the kingdom of God. And Bob is a father of this house. So um, let's pray. And you just listen to what the Lord will put on your heart. One of the things I know is as you sow into a man's ministry or a woman's ministry, then the uh, blessings of that ministry come to you. Thank you, Lord Lord, thank you for Bob and Velma. Thank you you so much for bringing them into my life and thus our lives. Thank you for men and women of God like this who have walked with you for decades. Who can stand up in front of us and speak. The words of God. Today, Lord, we honor him with uh, an offering to be a blessing to Bob and Velma. In Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, come on down and let's, uh, let's receive an offering for Bob and Velma. Make it out to the gathering place or GPC, gathering place church, and every dime will... Go to these guys, GPC. Thank you.
If you've never given your life to Jesus before, um, today is the day to do it. So I'm going to ask um, for the, uh, the prayer teams, after you've given an offering, that the prayer teams will come down front here. Um, also, this is what we believe here at this church. And uh, it's a quarter till 12, so in the next 60 seconds I will be done. But in this church, what we believe is this. We don't believe in just teaching about the ministry of Jesus. We believe in actually demonstrating oh, yes. the ministry of Jesus. Yes, yes. We believe he's the risen Savior. And so he is still acting just like he did when he was on earth, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, raising the dead. We believe it. Uh, we don't bat a thousand, but we bat. And every once in a while we get ourselves a first base, second base, sometimes a grand slam where cancer gets healed or diabetes gets healed or legs grow or whatever it might be. But we like to partner with Jesus and letting him be himself in his house and healing miracles are a natural part of his ministry, so it's a natural part of our ministry. So after the, after the prayer teams give the, their offering, please come down front. And if you have any sickness in your body or you want to give your life to Jesus and invite him to be, be your Savior, maybe you need a fresh infilling to the Holy Spirit. Maybe you haven't got, received your prayer language yet and praying in other tongues to God is a sp- supernatural gift that expands your prayer life. Anything that you feel like you need from the Lord, you come down and our prayer teams will be ready to pray for you and, and let Jesus be Jesus. Amen. So, Bob, Velma, thank you for coming. Let's give them. If you have children, please uh, go get your kids from Children's Church. The prayer teams will still be here for you. You can go get your kids and bring them back. If you visited today, I would love to uh, meet you. Um, I'm a, I will uh, be out front. And if also fill out a guest card, please, and uh, leave that out front. Bob wrote a book. Uh, called Why Pray that's out of the resource table. You want to pick up that book. It's a great book on prayer. And uh, we'll see you at a connect group this week. This is Connect Group Sunday. So Connect Group's launched this week. Be sure to get into a small group this week. And I'll see you next Sunday. family home? Yeah, I'm thinking that we might need to go to Costco to get steaks. Okay. All right. So you drive the family home? I'm going to take a Nana too. Yeah. Yeah. Don't leave Nana. Bella's not here. So we'll go to Costco and get some steaks. You're going to be at home tonight for dinner? Because you went last night, you know, out, so I thought you did that too loud. When I asked you to be there on Sunday night, and I said, don't worry about it. And you went out last night, so I thought you'd be there, because I really want to honor Bob.